0: news. WTBN Pinellas Park. Up next is Verse by Verse. Sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries.
1: What do you lose if you engage in in adultery? Well, some of the things he mentions is self-respect and dignity. You lose self-respect. You lose dignity You lose your financial resources because now you've got to take care of of this person you had adultery with, your, your adulterous partner and her children. You lose peace with God due to a guilty conscience. You have regrets the rest of your life.
2: You know, it's amazing how much the price of a gallon of gas can vary from store to store. Even in the same community, the price can differ by as much as 20 cents per gallon. Most of us who are trying to cut expenses will be willing to drive just a little out of the way to go to the station that has the best price. But I wonder, have you ever made the mistake of buying gas at a price that seemed too good to be true, only to find out that it really was too good to be true? If your experiences have been anything like mine, it was probably a decision you regretted for some time. The engine rattles and coughs when you try to accelerate, AND YOU FEEL SURE THAT SOMEONE IS LOOKING AT YOU THINKING, AH, THAT GUY MUST HAVE BOUGHT SOME REALLY CHEAP GAS. AT TIMES IT SEEMS LIKE NOTHING YOU ADD TO THE FUEL MAKES ANY DIFFERENCE. YOU'RE STUCK WITH IT UNTIL YOU CAN RUN THAT TANK OF GAS DOWN LOW AND PUT IN SOMETHING GOOD. IN OUR STUDY TODAY HERE ON VERSE BY VERSE, PASTOR STEVE Kreloff IS TALKING ABOUT SOMETHING VERY MUCH LIKE CHEAP GASOLINE. HE HAS BEEN DOING A SERIES OF MESSAGES ON THE TEN COMMANDMENTS and right now, he is talking about the seventh commandment, which literally says, No adultery. God's word tells us quite plainly that adultery is something that always looks and sounds better than it really is. In fact, God reveals that adultery is one of the most deceitful and destructive of all sins. It wreaks havoc upon the people that we care about most, and it destroys the reputation of our integrity and it never delivers the kind of satisfaction that it seems to promise. A pastor friend of mine has often said, I have never spoken with someone who looked back on their lives and wished they had committed adultery and cheated on their spouse. But I have had many people tell me, through weeping and tears, how they wished they had never committed the horrible sin of adultery. Let's join Pastor Steve now as he continues this message on the Seventh Commandment.
1: So adultery is a sin against God, it is a sin against the spouse, it is a sin against children, it is a sin against the church, it is a sin against the world, as far as our testimony is concerned. But ironically, and a lot of people don't realize this, ironically, and and this is the fourth reason why adultery is so grievous, is that it brings great harm to the person who commits it. We don't often think about that. It brings great harm to the person who commits adultery. And I want you to turn your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 5. Proverbs chapter 5, and you should keep it there because we'll be referring back to it. The Bible is not prudish about this. The Bible is straightforward. The Bible gives us God's words of wisdom. And Proverbs chapter 5 is one of the greatest deterrents to committing adultery found in scripture because it is the inspired warnings of the dangers awaiting those who engage in adulterous relationship. God actually warns us, don't go down that road. It will destroy you. Interestingly enough, this proverb is actually a father and son talk between Solomon and his son, Solomon communicating to his son. And what's interesting about this is that I can think of no one more qualified to speak on the subject of unrestrained sexual conduct than Solomon. 1 Kings 11:4 states that Solomon's heart had been led away from the Lord by 700 wives and 300 concubines. So I think this man knew something about the dangers of adultery and he put it in writing for us and he warns his son and and all of us about the terrible consequences of adultery. I want to read it to you, verses 1 through 6, and then we'll comment on it and we'll go further into this. My son, give attention, verse 1, to my wisdom, incline your ear to my understanding that you may observe discretion and your lips may reserve knowledge for the lips of an adulteress drip honey and smoother than oil is her speech but in the end she is bitter as wormwood sharp as a two-edged sword her feet go down to death her steps take hold of Sheol she does not ponder the path of life her ways are unstable she does not know it after making his son uh, aware of these things he's going to say some other some other truths about it but what he's doing in these verses is he is warning his son about the deceitfulness, the deceitfulness of adultery. It may look good. It may make great promises, but it is deceptive. It is absolutely deceptive. And that's what he's talking about. But he goes on to say that there is a high price that one pays who commits adultery. And remember, this is a warning to deter us from it. Verses 7 through fourteen. Now then, my sons, listen to me and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her and do not go near the door of her house or you will give your vigor to others and your years to the cruel one and strangers will be filled with your strength and your hard-earned goods will go to the house of an alien. And you groan at your final end when your flesh and your body are consumed. And you say, how I have hated instruction and my heart spurned reproof. I have not listened to the voice of my teachers nor inclined my ear to my instructors. I was almost in utter ruin in the midst of the assembly and congregation. These verses spell out that there are are various losses that adultery brings. There is a high price to pay. What do you lose if you engage in, adul- in adultery? Well, some of the things he mentions is self-respect and dignity. You lose self-respect. You, use, you, you lose dignity. You lose your financial resources because now you've got to take care of, of this person you had adultery with, your, your adulterous partner and her children. You lose peace with God due to a guilty conscience. You have regrets the rest of your life. You say how I've spurned my, my teachers when they warned me. What kind of a fool I've been. And you'll be disgraced before God's people. That's what verse 14 is talking about. I was almost in utter ruin in the midst of the assembly and the congregation. You'll be embarrassed. You'll be disgraced. And you know what? No one ever forgets it. You are marked the rest of your life about adultery. God may forgive you. You repent. He certainly will. But you are marked the rest of your life. I'll say more about that in a moment. But in addition, in addition, adultery brings the loss of of health through sexually transmitted diseases If you're in the ministry, it will cost you your ministry as well as your job because you are no longer above reproach. And you will experience the loss of an honorable reputation. No one will ever look at you the same again. You'll never look at yourself the same again. In fact, look at Proverbs chapter 6, verse 32 and 33, just one chapter over. We're told this, "...the one who commits adultery with a woman is lacking sense." He doesn't know what he's doing. He who would destroy himself does it. Watch this. Wounds and disgrace he will find, and his reproach will not be blotted out. Will not be blotted out. No one will ever forget it. Your children will never forget it. Your spouse will never forget it. The sin of adultery carries with it a reproach that will never go away, ever. Even though there there may be repentance and forgiveness, there's no better illustration of this than King David himself. Remember David, though he repented of his sin, as we talked about, yet the reproach endured for the rest of his life. In fact, if, any, uh, if anyone's ever about to do a study on, on David, as I did several years ago, uh, you'll hear this question. How could David have been called a man after God's own heart when, when he did what he did with Bathsheba? That's a very good question. In fact, 1 Kings 15, 5 records these words. It's sort of a lasting memorial concerning David, almost an epitaph to go on his tombstone. We read this. David was right in the sight of the Lord and had not turned aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life. Now, it'd be wonderful if it just ended there. But here's how it ends. Except in the case of Uriah the Hittite, God put that in there. Talking about the adulterous relationship with Bathsheba. You see, the one sin of David's life that haunted him and followed him even to the grave was this sin of adultery. In an otherwise exemplary life, that's what continues to haunt him to this day. You and I think about that. We think about David. That's what goes through our minds. And so to, to violate this commandment by committing adultery is a very serious sin, a very serious sin, the most serious of all sexual sins, because it is a sin against God. It is a sin that damages and destroys marriage. It is a sin that brings irreparable harm to children, the church, and our testimony to the world. And it brings horrific consequences to the one who commits it. So it is quite serious. Now up to this point, We've only considered the forbidden physical act of adultery, but just like the issue of murder that we saw last week in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 5, so let's turn there. Jesus reveals the prohibition against adultery is a lot deeper and broader than the physical act. So the first question that helps us understand the meaning of this commandment, what action does the commandment forbid? It forbids the physical act of having sexual relations with someone other than your spouse. The second question to help us understand the meaning of this commandment is what attitude does the seventh commandment forbid? What thoughts are forbidden here? Matthew chapter 5, as we said last week, is a very critical passage and portion of Scripture. It is the Lord giving a sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. And the message that that Jesus gave that day was designed to help his followers understand that true obedience was obedience from the heart inward. It it was not just outward conformity to the law. Jesus was making a very clear distinction between what the Pharisees practiced, which was just heartless uh, outward conformity to a religious code, just religious performance to impress people or to ease their conscience, as opposed to true inner obedience that came from the heart that are practiced by true disciples who have been changed on the inside. That's, that's the point of this. And to do this, to communicate this, Jesus highlighted several Old Testament laws, certainly not all, and explained their true meaning. Now, last week we looked at murder, where Jesus said murder is committed when you are angry at someone. Not the physical act, but it is the, it is the anger that would drive us to... Uh, insult people and to criticize and to be negative and to yell at them and things like that. Now, in in chapter 5, verse 27 and 28, he speaks about the seventh commandment. Last week, the sixth, this is the seventh commandment about adultery. He says in verse 27, you have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Our Lord reveals that contrary to what the rabbis taught, that's what he means in verse 27, you have heard that it was said. Contrary to what what they taught, the, the law forbidding adultery is a lot deeper than simply the outward physical act. It includes adulterous, lustful desires. Now, keep in mind, something that a lot of, even a lot of pastors, a lot of Bible teachers miss, is that Jesus was not changing the law, nor was he adding anything to it. He said at the beginning of, of this sermon that, think not that I've come to destroy the law. The moral laws of God are forever. Jesus wasn't changing it. What he was doing, he was just explaining that when he gave this law to Moses, and he is the divine lawgiver, he intended that this is what it would mean. It has always meant this. Jesus gave this commandment that has always condemned adulterous actions as well as adulterous thoughts. And and spiritual Jewish people would have understood that. The Pharisees didn't because they weren't spiritual. They followed, in other words, the letter of the law and forgot the spirit of the law. So our Lord is saying that this seventh commandment always condemned adulterous actions as well as adulterous thoughts, regardless of whether or not those lustful thoughts are ever carried out into a physical act. Just the thought itself is sinful. Now, folks, that, that is a heavy thought, very heavy thought. It ought to be convicting to every one of us here because all of us, if you're an adult, all of us have had lustful thoughts. And more than thoughts that just pop through our minds, every married person in this room has committed mental adultery, and every single adult has committed mental immorality. Everyone. And I want to clarify something. We're not simply talking about men here, though that's who Jesus directed this towards, but women as well. Women who might engage in fantasizing what it would be like to be married to another man. Or in regard to reading romance novels or watching soap operas that stir up lustful thoughts. This is not limited to men. These thoughts that a woman has are just as immoral and adulterous as a man involved in pornography on the internet. All of it's wrong. God says that anyone who has impure lust in his heart has committed adultery in his sight, even if they remain physically faithful to their spouse. That's what this command is teaching. That's the broad command of it. Now, I want to stop here for a moment and clarify two issues about lust that I think are very important, and I don't want you to misunderstand this. First of all, we want to be careful that we ac- accurately define the kind of sinful lust that Jesus was talking about. So let me first address that. It is not lust to notice an attractive person or to think that someone is good-looking. It is not wrong at all. Josh Harris of the famed I Kiss Dating Goodbye book has written another book, which I highly recommend, and I think we have it at the book table. If we don't have it, we, I know we can get it in. It's a book called Not Even a Hint. It's, it's about lust, called Not Even a Hint. It's tremendous, and I would encourage all of you to get that. In this book, he explains the distinction between acknowledging an attractive individual and lusting after that individual. He writes this, Noticing an attractive person is not wrong, but undressing that person with your eyes or imagining what it would be like to have them is. A sexual thought that pops into your mind isn't necessarily lust. But it can quickly become lust if it's entertained and dwelled on, end of quote. Let me put this as simply as I can. What Jesus is forbidding is any mental contemplation that if acted out would be immoral. Do you get that? Any mental contemplation, that, it, and I'm talking that it's more than one little thought, but it's contemplation, that is act if acted out, would be immoral. That is mental adultery. Or another way to put it would be to say that Jesus is forbidding that second look, that, that repeated gaze, that longing stare. That's what he's talking about. None of us can stop thoughts from popping into our mind, but you can stop them from dwelling there. That's when it becomes mental adultery. And that's why the Old Testament uh, character Job said this in Job 31.1, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a girl. I made a covenant not to look lustfully. That's a great, great thought. Job purposed in his heart he would not look upon the lady with lust. So there is a distinction between recognizing someone's good looks and lusting after them. Now, there's a second issue that calls for clarification, and it's this. The distinction between the act of adultery and adulterous thoughts that never become an action. There is a distinction, though an adulterous thought carries the same kind of moral guilt as an adulterous act because both are violations of the seventh commandment and therefore both are damning before God. There is a difference between physical and mental adultery with adultery, physical adultery, being a greater sin. And let me explain why. This in no way is intended to minimize mental adultery. It's just to put it in its proper biblical perspective. Let me tell you why physical adultery is much worse. First of all, physical adultery breaks the marriage covenant and provides grounds for divorce. Now, a person may not take those grounds for divorce, but according to Matthew chapter 19 and Matthew chapter 5, those are grounds for divorce. But adulterous thoughts don't do either. They don't break the marriage covenant, nor do they provide grounds for divorce. Secondly, physical adultery defiles someone else's body and destroys their marriage. Mental adultery, as wicked as it is, does not do that. Third, physical adultery often leads to abortion, but that's not the case with adulterous thoughts. And finally, sexually transmitted diseases can occur when there is physical adultery. Obviously, that doesn't happen when there is mental adultery. Now, I say this only to put it in proper perspective. This does not minimize in any way The wickedness, absolute wickedness of mental adultery, it simply means that there is a definite distinction, a difference between the actual act and the lustful thoughts of adultery, with full-fledged adultery being far worse. However, I do want you to understand that mental adultery has some horrible consequences. And so this balances out what we've just seen Lustful thoughts are extremely dangerous and they carry significant consequences. And I want you to see this, Ephesians chapter 4. I don't want you to think, well, it's only in my mind it's okay. Nobody will know about it. God knows about it. And it will affect you. In case you're thinking, well, I can have kind of a secret affair in my dreams. I'll never act them out. What harm is there? Ephesians 4.19 tells us the harm. Speaking in context, he is speaking about pagans, non-Christians. He is speaking about their thought life. He is speaking about their way of life. And, And Paul says this, and they, verse 19, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. Now, notice that. In this verse, Paul describes that lust is never satisfied, never It has an endless cycle. Notice the last phrase of this verse. He says, with greediness. You know what that means? I think the um, NIV captures the thought with this translation. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity. And now watch this last phrase, with a continual lust for more. I think that captures it. That's what lust does. Lust only breeds more lust. It doesn't stop with a little bit. Its appetite will never be quenched. Here's how one pastor explained the effects of lust. He wrote, even when you indulge in every kind of impurity, you're still filled with a continual lust. You won't be able to fantasize enough to quench lust. You won't be able to sleep with enough people. You won't be able to view enough pornography. You, you can gorge yourself on lust, but you're always going to be hungry. You'll be trapped in a never-ending pursuit of wrong desires, always reaching for something that cannot Be grasped. Folks, once you get on the road of lust, it never ends unless you absolutely get off. And we're going to go over how to get off in a few minutes. You cannot simply dabble with lust. It will suck you in. It has an insatiable appetite that won't go away. Lust has an appetite that won't quit. It won't stand for you to take just a little bit and say, well, it's okay because it's just a little bit. It's not as bad as others'. That's not the way lust works. Lust will pull you in and it will eventually become your king and your lord and your master. You cannot dabble a little bit in it. That's the nature of lust. And that's why Paul said just a few verses later in Ephesians 5.3, same context, but immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. In other words, there shouldn't even be a hint of sexual immorality in a believer's life. There shouldn't be any of that in you. shouldn't even be named among you as something in, in your life. You see, it shouldn't exist at all. Don't deceive yourself into thinking that you can just fool around a little bit in your mind. You can't. You can't. There's nothing. Uh, lust is not like that at all. There's no little lust. Every bit of it is serious. And I you, I warn you, you will be trapped in a relentless cycle. Lust just snowballs and develops into more and more lust because lust by its very nature is never quenched never it will become your master
2: and there are countless testimonies to the validity of what Pastor Steve has just said lust cannot exist as a guest in our hearts once it is invited in or permitted to stay it will always end up as our master and a very cruel master at that but seeing that lust is so powerful and so prevalent in our lives how can we combat it In our next broadcast, Pastor Steve will have some practical tips on how to combat the problem of sexual lust. And since lust in general is closely connected to all types of sin, the steps that he outlines will help you in dealing with all sorts of issues in life. It's a study you won't want to miss. Now we're more than halfway through this current series on the Ten Commandments. There are only two more commands to examine after this one. But if you have missed any of the broadcasts in this series, we want to remind you that you can listen to all of the previous broadcasts of Verse by Verse on our website. Just go to versebyverseradio.org and click on the Listen Now button near the top of the page, and you will hear the current broadcast. Previous programs can be found in our audio archive, available for you to listen to at any time of the day or night. It's a great way to fit verse-by-verse into your busy schedule. We would like to give a special word of thanks to those of you who have given financially to help support the Verse-by-Verse radio program. Your gifts have helped to keep these insightful Bible programs on the air, and we know that many people have been blessed as a result. If you have never given to Verse-by-Verse but would like to know more about how you can help meet the many costs of producing and broadcasting these studies, please call us at 727-239-0306 for more information. Your contribution of whatever amount will be a welcome partnership in this ministry. Please be sure to join us next time as Pastor Steve gives us some important tips on how to avoid the sin of adultery right here on Verse by Verse.
0: You've been listening to Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This program was pre recorded. To learn more, including how to donate to this ministry, visit versebyverseradio.org. That's Verse. If you're concerned about